you are looking for a happy place, you have found it. Welcome to Live Happy Now, the podcast dedicated to bringing you closer to your true happiness through relatable stories, powerful positive psychology insights, and maybe a little bit of fun along the way as well. Glad that you're making us a part of your day again. I am J.R. Houston, and we're brought to you, of course, by Live Happy Magazine issues on stands now all across the nation, your local grocery store, Barnes & Noble, anywhere fine magazines are sold. You can also get our digital edition on the uh, Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, all there for you. And uh, while you are uh, surfing around online to find out more information, go to our uh, partner's website, lifereimagined.org. They've got all kinds of things there for you as well to help you achieve your true happiness. They say, as you awaken it to the power of happiness, so do your dreams. So what's next? Find out by going to lifereimagined.org. We are excited about this edition of the Live Happy Now podcast as Kim Yancey had a chance to talk with Robert Holden, who created the Happiness Project, which was an eight-week happiness program back in 1994. He's also written a ton of books like Happiness Now, Shift Happens, Got to be careful when you say that. Authentic success and life loves you. We're going to listen in as Kim and Robert discuss finding the happiness within yourself. Let's get right into the Happiness Project. Share with our audience what the Happiness Project is about and how it came about. Well, I studied psychology and philosophy as a young man. And six years of study, I only had one lecture on happiness. So I felt that things were a little bit out of balance. Uh, eventually, whilst I was working on the National Health Service, I set up this clinic called the Happiness Project. And essentially, what I wanted to do was to start a conversation about happiness. Now, this is back in 1994, before positive psychology and, and all that. And uh, the great goal was to create an eight-week happiness program that scientists could measure. So they could actually measure the progress of people who came on this eight-week program. They could measure people's uh, mood, they could measure even their brain function. And the, the experiment was to really see if we can do something to essentially choose our happiness and to increase our happiness levels. And that's really what the Happiness Project has always been about. In essence, it's the meditation on happiness. What did you discover from the project? Give us some of the aha moments for you throughout this project. Oh, my goodness. Um, there's so many. There's so many, Kim. Happiness is a fabulous study. You know, you learn, I think, a lot about yourself when you really start to explore happiness properly. I think the thing to do is probably to define terms. Um, often when people are talking about happiness, they're not talking about the same thing. For, so for some of us, when we talk about happiness, we're talking about pleasure. Uh, pleasure is a fabulous thing, but it's, a, it's a, a sensory happiness and it's very temporary. Often people are talking about satisfaction when they're talking about happiness, how satisfied they are with their life. I guess what I'm most interested in, Kim, is another type of happiness, uh, which is joy. And I would say that one of the main goals of the Happiness Project is to help people to give up the search for happiness and to start following their joy. I think that when you search for happiness, you put happiness outside of yourself. You turn it into a search, and it's a search that you might never quite complete. Whereas if you follow your joy, I don't know if you can even just feel the difference, but following your joy, you're paying attention to something that's already here. And that joy is inbuilt. It's your GPS. It's your natural self. It's intelligent. 
And when you follow your joy, I believe that's ultimately what makes you happy. Robert, how do you follow your joy? And at the same time, when you look at the studies around the percentage of people who say they love their jobs or their career, there's a real disconnect. Most people are doing work that isn't joyful for them. What did you learn from your study as it relates to that? Kim, I think you raised a very good point, which is I think for generations, work has often been almost an act of sacrifice. Um, It's something that is almost implicitly unenjoyable, but never mind because we'll enjoy ourselves on the weekend or never mind we're doing this for the family. And and maybe we've we've had to do it like that up until now. Maybe there was a very good reason for doing it like that. The point is, I don't think we have to do that that way anymore. Work doesn't have to be an act of sacrifice. When we bring a little bit of imagination into the picture, I think work can be a creative enterprise. Work can be a way of, of, of expressing ourselves more fully. I often say to people, don't have a job, have a purpose. And I think that more and more, we are looking at work that is meaningful and purposeful. I work with a lot of these companies that, and a lot of these leaders that want work to be this way. And I think as much as anything, Kim, I think maybe it's just part of our evolution that have got to a point now where we understand that we choose our attitude and we can determine as much as anybody else whether we are going to enjoy our work or not. Yeah. And, you know, I I think your whole point around when you're searching for it, I'm like, I'm looking for happiness. It seems to always elude us. We'll get to a place where we'll say, oh, gosh, I'm making the money that, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, I just thought if I could only get to this level. But then I've gotten to this level and, and I discovered, gee, this isn't bringing me the happiness that I thought. It is really getting in touch with the joy in the pursuit of what you're doing. I mean, living it as you're doing it. Absolutely, Kim. And this is what makes happiness such an interesting study because, you know, really, as I say, happiness forces us to be honest with ourselves and to really look at our lives. You know, we know, we know in our skin, we know in our bones if we're happy or not. And and if we're happy, I believe it's often a sign that uh, we are being true to ourselves, that we are following our joy all as well. If we're unhappy, there is no shame in that whatsoever. We have to be very clear about this. There's no shame in that at all. The unhappiness is also part of our GPS, our inner guidance system. And it's saying to us, choose again, make better choices, do whatever it is you can do to be more true to yourself, if you like. But I think the big point here is, is that, We're not here to chase happiness because happiness is not outside of us. I do think the search for happiness has caused a lot of pain in life because the search for happiness does place happiness outside of ourselves. And actually, I think what we need to do is to recognize that true happiness is really, it's like our true nature. And, And the purpose of happiness, and this is a key point, Kim, the purpose of happiness is to help us to see when we're being true to ourselves and when we're making choices that are helping us to be authentic and as much as anything as well, to your point, to be enjoying the journey of our life rather than just trying to uh, arrive at some 
near or far off destination. I will say to you, Robert, the big thing for me, and I think for a lot of people, is the whole fact that you, you know, that happiness is a choice and you get to decide that. It's a canvas. It's, you're able to get out of bed and decide, do you want to be happy and to have gratitude into your life? I think for so many people, just that alone, understanding that, you know, you can decide, but it's also, it's also a practice. Are you doing the healthy things to make you a healthy person? Are you doing the happy things or practicing the happy hygiene, so to speak, that will bring happiness and expand it for you? Yeah, I think the key thing to do here is to really pay attention to your entire mood and to be able to look at that whole spectrum of happiness and unhappiness and to be able to pay attention to it and to learn from it. You know, if you're feeling happy, it's like that's not an accident. That happiness, again, is it's part of your GPS. It's, it's not so much that you're choosing that happiness. It's that you're making choices that are authentic. Mm. You're making choices to be present. You're making choices to enjoy your day. That's what's helping you to be happy. Similarly, if you're unhappy, you know, be honest about that. Don't try and be positive. Don't try and override it. Don't try and reframe it. That unhappiness is trying to help you, even though it's, you know, it's, it could be painful and it can be even quite, you know, frightening even to look at it. The whole point is that all of your emotions are like this great dashboard and they're all there trying to help you. And in my experience, what I've learned is that the truly happy people, they're not afraid of their unhappiness. They'll work with it. And, and it's like great artists, you know, great artists don't just start painting because they're happy. They, they use every emotion that they have to create their canvas. And we mustn't be afraid to do the same as well. And when we do that, when we're not afraid of the unhappiness, strangely enough, we're happier because of it, because now we're using all of our emotions, if you like. But what I would say to your point about choice, you know, we've looked over the years, just as you guys have at uh, Live Happy, the research is so interesting. I would have to say my take on the research on happiness is this. Nothing in the world makes you happy. That, for me, is the conclusion of the research. Mm. Nothing in the world makes you happy. Everything in the world can encourage you to be happy, but nothing in the world makes you happy. Fundamentally, there is still a choice at some point. And the final action, I think, is to be able to choose the happiness yourself. And I would say, you know, like the research shows, money and happiness, there's not much of a correlation after 30,000 US dollars a year. We know that. Circumstances and happiness, there's not much of a correlation between circumstances and happiness. What there does seem to be a correlation on, and I think this is so interesting, Kim, this is such a simple thing I'm about to say, but it seems to me that the people who are the happiest are the people who have learned to enjoy their lives. And learning to enjoy your day, learning to enjoy your life, that is under our control. And I think that's what we have to attend to. I'm sitting here. I have a combination of goosebumps and eurekas. <laughs> no, 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 no. I am telling you, Robert. You know, I want you to build on nothing in the world makes you happy. Can you just Absolutely. expand yes. that a little more? Yeah. And Kim, thank you for 
forgetting this because this is such an important point. At the moment, a lot of us are still trying to get happiness Mm. and we're trying to get it by improving our life circumstances. And you'd think, well, surely that would work, wouldn't it? And the research is saying, no, it doesn't. Actually, life circumstances have what is called, and I quote, a short-term negligible effect on our happiness. What does that mean? It means when we go out and buy a handbag or a new suit, yes, we experience some pleasure and some satisfaction for around about 72 hours, something like that. But then fundamentally, our happiness level will return to where it was before that. So what we know about our life circumstances, for instance, we we get a pay rise or we get a new job. Yes, it has an effect, but it's relatively short term. What's more powerful than the circumstances in our life is actually our attitude towards our life. And in that attitude, that's where we're finding that fundamentally our job is, as I say, is not to search for the happiness, but it's to, it's to fundamentally enjoy your day. I mean, one of the most simple exercises that I share on the eight-week happiness program is just name three ways you could make today even more enjoyable than you thought it was going to be. Mm. What I love about that is all of a sudden we're in control of our day now because we're in control of our attitude. And instead of waiting for happiness to happen or hoping that it's going to be a happy day, we now get to say, okay, yeah, I'm in charge of my life today. How could I make today even more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be? Now we've got some imagination to play with. What what I love is people grab hold of life at that point and they say, and they come up with ideas like making a phone call to somebody they love, doing something nice for somebody and, uh, or going out to dinner with a loved one tonight. And you're in control of your, of your life and you're making it happen rather than hoping you're going to bump into happiness soon. Robert, on a personal level, do you have kids? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. So, so tell me something, Rob. How many kids do you have? I have two children. I've got an eight-year-old called Bo and a four-year-old called Christopher. All right. So you've got little young people running around. Yeah. And so give me a couple of suggestions you'd have for parents in terms of helping their kids embrace these principles and understand their happiness. How, what's your approach in your family? Okay. Well, just for fun, I mean, following on from what we've just said, like on a Saturday morning, for instance, when I know we've got the whole day ahead of us, what I'll do is I'll sit down with them both and we do what we call the fun committee. And uh, so we all get together at the fun committee. We sit around the table. We've all got a piece of paper and some crayons. And now what we do is we start to draw fun and we start to draw all of the fun things that we could do today. If we want to, we're not going to choose any yet. We're just going to, but the fun committee is just about putting down as much fun as possible. And so it might be we're going to go to the park, you know, we're going to play in the garden, we're going to plant something today, we're going to cook something today. Just the act of creating the fun committee. I have to say it's a great little trick, this, Kim, because it takes about an hour by the time we've done it. But then after that, you know, we'll choose and say, well, what should we do together? That's an example of us having some fun and making the most of the day rather than just trying to hope that the day somehow entertains us, which it can do, but I think it's wonderful when we can bring an attitude of play 
into the day as well. Oh, yeah. And the mindfulness you're bringing to it right there in that moment. I mean, that's a beautiful illustration. Tell me about your latest book, uh, Life Loves You. What brought you to that concept? What can you tell us about, uh, about that, that body of work? Thank you very much, Kim. Yeah, well, Life Loves You is co-written with a lady called Louise Hay. And Louise Hay has been an inspiration to many, many people. Her book, You Can Heal Your Life, has sold 50 million copies worldwide. This was a chance for Louise and I to sit down together and put this book together. Life Loves You is based very much on a principle in psychology called basic trust. Basic trust is the idea that life wants the best for you and that fundamentally, and this is key to my work, Kim, I don't think we're here to change ourselves into somebody else. I don't think we're even here to practice self-improvement. I think we're here to be ourselves. And I often say, if you think something is missing in your life, it's probably you. More of the real you, more of the fun you, more of the honest you, more of the creative you. And I honestly believe that when you put yourself into your life and trust that life wants the very best for you, then you do make those choices where you can follow your joy. And and that the fact that you follow your joy becomes like one of the greatest gifts you can give your children, your friends, your colleagues, because they're watching you. And they're seeing that you're doing what it takes to enjoy your life. So maybe they could too. I really know from working with people that so many of us work on the outside of us, the things, and we are constantly shifting because of factors and things around us. And your statement around if something's missing, you're probably missing you. You know, it's like you're giving people permission. I mean, just opening up this whole notion of, it's with you all the time. It's right there. It's just waiting for you to unleash you. That's it, Kim. That's your, your, you know, your, your, your singing, you're singing my song too here, you know, and, and it's, that's how I feel. And, and I think really it'd be remiss of us not to mention another huge word here, which is love. I think really when you look at happiness, it's very hard to talk about happiness without talking about love. Um, and here what I mean in particular is that self-love, um, the capacity to love your life, um, the capacity to love others. You know, I think it's a very loving thing to do to look at your happiness because fundamentally your happiness is a gift to you, but it's mm. also a gift to your loved ones. Um, in the same way that your healing is a gift to your loved ones as well. And I think it's a tremendous act of self-love to, to really work out what happiness is for you. Um, but it's also a tremendous gift to others because the more examples we see of people who really work it out for themselves, then I think you will see less and less people chasing happiness. I, we weren't meant to chase happiness. We were meant to be happy and spread it. And I honestly believe that I often say that happiness is who you are minus your neurosis. It's like we're already happy, strangely enough. Mm. If we were to really, really look, if we were really to touch like the soul of who we are, I honestly believe we're already happy. It's just that we got caught up in chasing happiness and we almost just lost sight of the fact that that happiness already exists in us. But when we tune into it, we find that that happiness, that joy is intelligent. And if we follow it and we trust it, 
I honestly believe it helps us to live a, a much better life and a life that's that's a, a, a happy life along the way rather than suffering from what I sometimes call destination addiction, which is where we tell ourselves we're going to be happy one day, but not yet. Once again, that is Robert Holden with our own Kim Yancey right here on the Live Happy Now podcast. If you liked anything you heard from Robert, you want to find out more information, maybe even pick up his books, the uh, Happiness Test is also available. Uh, it was based on the Be Happy Index as featured on Oprah. It's available on our website by going to livehappy.com slash Robert Holden. Very excited about that. Also, while you're online, let us know what you think. If anything you found useful came from this podcast, we want to hear about it. You can find us on Twitter at Live Happy. You can also find us uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Live Happy, or on Instagram at mylivehappy.com. Or if you're not the social media type, you want to just send us an email, you can do that as well by sending us one at podcast at livehappy.com. That wraps up this edition of Live Happy Now. For Kim Yancey and Robert Holden, I'm J.R. Houston saying thank you so much for joining us. And remember to always live happy.